0: What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to GiftedPerformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. Guys, welcome back to another episode of the GPP, the Gifted Performance Podcast, where we give you the information and practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness. I am a lucky, lucky man today talking bodybuilding with an OG in the game, Mr. Peak himself, as some people know him. But guess what? No peak goes well unless you're shredded to begin with. So that's the real thing that we want to highlight about Mr. Cliff Wilson today. That he gets the people very shredded, knows what he's talking about. Very educated, very accomplished cliff. How are you? I'm good. I appreciate you guys having me on. I, 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 uh, I I also appreciate that you're wanting to talk about some things in addition to peaking. (laughs) Yeah, guys, a PSA out to the world cliff does more than just peak people. Most of the viewership just tuned out. They were like, all right, well, if he's not talking about peaking, I don't even want to hear anything from him. I got my two other GP co-hosts with me today. Cam, you're on the top of my screen. So I'm going with you first, Paul. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sliding you. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. What's going on? Paul, how's the new Keurig treating
1: you? Did it's you even get it so open? It's not operational yet, man. <laughs> I am have to do this without, without some coffee. All right. Well, we, we still think you can pull it through. All
0: right, well, let's get things going. We got a lot of questions to go through today. A lot of really top tier content, hashtag content that we are bringing to the people around the topic of getting shredded for competition. Uh, first and foremost, I'm sure you may have heard it from Cliff before. It is the Cliff Wilson intro. Cliff, you want to throw the people a quick brief one about you, your competitive history, athletic history, coaching business, when you got started, all that?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I have been coaching now for 10, almost 11 years. Geez, time time flies. It's never, it's never fun watching the transition, as they call you, the the younger coach in the game and then everyone calls you sir over the you know watching that transition through the emails but um so yeah i've been coaching 10 years now full time uh for eight and um just work with bodybuilders i don't even work with general population um <clears throat> and so uh yeah I, my own competitive history um i've been competing myself since 2008. Um, I won my natural pro card in 2016 and then I did my first pro show, uh, um, two years ago. Um, and you know, I coach both enhanced and natural competitors. Um, but, uh, because I'm natural, I think people tend to know me more as a a natural coach, but you know, I I think that's just kind of, um, the, the side that's calling on to me more, but anyway, um, Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much living the dream, just working with bodybuilders full time, not doing anything else, just talking meathead stuff with everybody. My, 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 um, educational background is that, um, I'm entirely self-educated. Um, it took me a little while to even know if I should be coaching people. Um, I really was just studying, uh, for my own competitive purposes and, um, I started helping a few people out and as each person started doing well and better than the last. And then i uh, I finally was like, "Okay, I think I need to start charging for this." And before I knew it, it turned into a job. And so uh, I always just put my information out there and I tell people, you know, uh, you don't have to take it as gospel, just uh,
0: you know assess it for what it is, even though I don't have the um, educational credentials. Was there any moment that you kind of look back on and, and you say, all right, like, this was the moment when I realized, like, I, I can do this. Like, despite the fact that I don't have the formal education, like, I'm legit. This is this is what I can do full time.
2: You know, um, it was actually at the first show I ever put a client in. Um, it, it, I was just I was coaching and it wasn't even a client. I was coaching two guys for free at my gym. And, um, you know, a lot of people know. uh Lane was already doing Lane Norton was already doing this full time <clears throat> and I was just having fun. And, um, my guy went against his in the overall and, um, my guy was really lean and you know, uh, this is like, yeah, this is like back in 2010 or something. And Lane Lane was really nice. He came up to, to me and he just said, man, he goes, not a lot of people get guys as lean as you just did. And he goes, you could have, a, he goes, you could make a lot of money doing this someday. And I was like, maybe this could be a job. Sure. <laughs> Um, so I, 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 after that, I was like, all right, let me get, let me try to
0: try to make this a career. And I went forward after that. So did, did your guy beat Lane's guy? He
2: did. He
3: did.
0: But Lane,
2: but Lane's gotten me plenty of times over the years too. So I'm not going <laughs> to pretend, pretend
0: like, uh, I came away unscathed over the years. Sweet. Um, in your bodybuilding career, have you always been self-coached or have you had other people that have coached you? Who do you have as kind of your coaching influences? I, I was,
2: uh, I I've been entirely self-coached and it's funny because I didn't, before I got into this, I wasn't even aware that there was like an online community. I was like a hermit in my own world. I was mostly a, a book reader, not reading online. Um, and so, um, I only found out who Lane was like a couple months before that show, honestly. Um, And so I I would say that um, most of my influences over how I approach things in my coaching career don't come from the bodybuilding world or even the fitness world. I always kind of call myself like a a scavenger of principles. (laughs) Um, I I mean – Uh, I got some good principles from, I played, um, basketball in high school and college, I get some good coaching principles from them. Um, even some strange places like, uh, I think Greg Popovich from the Spurs has like, um, some good coaching principles. Um, I, so he's known for going crazy later on in life, but Howard Hughes, you know, the aviator and director of movies from like way back in the day, um, he wasn't you know formally educated in like engineering and aviation um but he pioneered a lot of new aviation technology um primarily through like curiosity and tinkering and so um i would say being not formally educated i can appreciate um i'm not i i never consider myself like the smartest guy in the world but i i'm very curious so i never hesitate to tinker and then take what works, discard what doesn't and then continue that process to get better. So um I could keep going on with people but just kind of I, I think I I generally observe other people and then either in the bodybuilding world or not and then I take the principles that work and I kind of make it part of my own thing.
0: Yeah, Cam. Are you, are you seeing I'm see, seeing some shades of your of your own history here, your coaching trajectory?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears> hundred percent <throat> Yeah, cams, basically like your retarded little brother. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus.
0: <laughs> so can that actually kind of sounds like you are describing cam with, he doesn't have, you know, the formal education and drives us insane with all of his tinkering of, Hey, let's move this variable around. Let's do this. What happens when we do this? And I just want to shake him sometimes, but honestly, that's, that's how he's learned a lot. And it sounds like you did a lot of the same things.
2: Yeah, you know, um one of my favorite books is um is a is a book called Antifragile and it's it's um it's not a bodybuilding book at all. It's a it's a book there's a lot of economics in there but also like the nature of things in general. And the gist of it is that um certain things will get stronger with stressors um or even damage because um it's all information. So if you even if you if something doesn't work, it steers you closer to what does. And so um I think that oftentimes that is extremely useful in bodybuilding. You change one variable at a time. It works or it doesn't. But then it sends you in the right direction. So I'm I'm right with you, Cam.
1: <laughs> I think that's just how men operate just in general. Like you got to fuck up before you like learn anything, you know, it's <laughs> a great way to learn.
2: Yeah, no, and, and I, I actually think that's a big problem in bodybuilding where like people are afraid to fuck up. You know, they're like they're, they they mess up or they have a bad placing or they you know try something that doesn't work and it's like they're just overtaken with shame. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I, I mean I've never had a problem just being like, oh well that didn't work, let's just move on, you know. Um and, but for some reason in bodybuilding, and you know, you see it all the time with these coaches, they don't they don't ever want to admit like when something didn't work to their client. Um, you know, if if I, if I've tried something with a client and I have just, you know, it didn't work out or something, I'll just tell them like, Hey, I don't think it's working. Let's shift, you know, shift gears. But if you want to die on the Hill,
0: that is your ego. That's fine. (laughs) All right. Let's get into some actual bodybuilding questions here. All right. So the first one that I had for you, Cliff was, it's a question about kind of getting into what we consider true stage condition. So The question is what do you think is the biggest like delineating factor between competitors who really genuinely get shredded and those that just don't quite make it they get on stage and you're like man i wish that they had like another two or three weeks then they really would have nailed it um you know i think that there's
2: probably two factors um the first one is sort of the the gates to get into that door you know to get into that room to be able to make it is that um I think a lot of people poorly plan. Um, I, I, I haven't done it in a few years, but I went through my, I went through my applications one year and I tried to see how many people that applied to work with me had picked a show that I felt was, um, appropriate, allowed appropriate prep length to occur. Um, and, um, 94% of them needed to choose a later show in my opinion. Um, so you know the thing that i always say is that like you can make the correct diet changes all the way through to create um the appropriate amount of fat loss that you're aiming but if you need to lose six seven more pounds than what you realize then all of your perfect changes mean nothing because you you chose a show that was too soon um so i would say that's like that's like the first um barrier to entry that i see is people don't give themselves enough time to diet and it's usually for various things they don't want to diet too long they think they have less fat to lose than what they actually do which is a big one um so i would say the first barrier entry is that the second one is then um if they bypass that is then following the plan um and and it doesn't often look like what people think it looks like it's not always uh oh i cheated on my diet i'm embarrassed it's actually like convincing yourself that an alternate route is better in the moment. Uh, I I mean, and we've all been there, but like, you look at yourself and you're like, Oh, I'm too flat. I need this refeed day. Um, Or, you know, I'm losing too fast. I really need to slow things down. Um, When in reality, it's like, according to your rate of loss, you're right on track to where your goal should be. So I think it's a matter of remaining disciplined to the plan that you set in place to follow through and not let these day to day fluctuations in your look or your weight or your feeling steer you off course. So I would say those are the
0: two biggest things aside from any, any dietary or training changes. So when you coach yourself and you're kind of in that moment of like, man, you know, maybe I need an extra refeed here. Maybe my weight is dropping a little bit too much this week. What's the internal dialogue that you have since you don't have a coach to go to? How do you stay objective with yourself? Um, all right. You're going to think I'm crazy with this. But um, I, so do.
2: I take photos of myself um, and then I email myself to my client email <laughs> and I put my weight in there. And I step away from my computer for a few hours. Um, and I wait till I haven't looked at myself in a little while. And, um, I analyze my photos and my weight, and I may put a few notes in there for the week, but I analyze what I've just written to myself as if I'm viewing a third party person. Like I try not to, I try to ignore any feeling I may have. And I go by what is in front of me, the way I do with my clients, I go by, Um, I go by the weight that I'm seeing the adjustment in the pictures that I'm seeing and the few notes that I've jotted down and um, any feeling that I have about me is separated through what I have in text in photos in front of me. Um, hopefully I
1: just didn't kill my business there
3: <laughs> by having just everybody shot another head on his body.
1: Yeah, no, I think a lot of people appreciate that. It's a very, uh, unique answer. Something I wasn't expecting, but it makes a lot of sense. If you're able to like, stay true to that process.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm like, uh, my girlfriend thinks I'm crazy. I'm like, got another check in from cliff today, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I, I think that, um, you know. So there's a big push and there's a little bit of a sidebar, but there's a big push right now. I think with like video calls and, you know, having access to to video and thing, um, a lot of coaches really want to have these video conferences with their clients. And a lot of times I kind of tell my clients, I would prefer not to have the video calls and make the changes because having that little bit of layer of um, objectivity, like if I get too close and if we have a video call for 30 minutes, And they're telling me about, Hey, I feel, you know, really tired or, you know, I can see how they're really worn down. Um, you know, human empathy kicks in and you're not going to probably be as tough on them as you need to be. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen, but like some of the great coaches that I've known have tried prepping their wives. Um, and it doesn't usually end up great. You know, they don't get to the same level that their other clients do because they They end up care you know they care about that person so i think that um sometimes being able to see you know that they're struggling a little bit actually makes you pull your punches a little bit as a coach so i I a lot of times tell people i prefer email uh, for that reason
1: that's really interesting i can definitely see where you're coming from 100 percent. i feel like though i've also had scenarios where and maybe it's not through video because sometimes too that it just becomes unrealistic when you have so many clients to be like, all right, where everybody's getting a video chat, you know what I mean? But, um, like where through text or maybe it is video or FaceTime or call or something like I pick up on certain things and I'm like, okay. Uh, and sometimes cause Cam and I co-coach a lot of people as well. I'm like, I, I sort of get the hint that, something is coming around the corner whether it's like a binge or they're going to break or you know what i mean and i feel like sometimes it ends up working out to where you you sort of save that and like okay we're going to give you a little more food like it's clear you're like hurting and maybe in the long term it ends up being better like i think you know it could end up going both ways i I agree with that so actually in my check-in process through email
2: i don't require a lot of information. Um, I usually just say your photos, your weight, and then tell me about your week. Um, so like, I don't have like big data spreadsheet that I have people fill out or anything like that. Um, I'm like, I want them talking, you know, we'll do it through email, but it gives me a little more time. And this is actually more of a me thing on this end is that I actually tend to do better when I can see or hear information and then have a few moments to kind of process it before i act upon it but um so it's actually probably the same same concept where like i said through video chat or through email i think getting people talking is a very useful tool because um as they talk you're gonna find out things about them what's important to them what they're struggling with so i agree
0: with you 100 about that so as coming from an athlete's perspective aside from setting aside more time to obviously prep for the show this so you have more weeks what are what are some some workarounds some some ways to get over these barriers to get truly shredded is it just like hey listen it's just no, let's just buckle down psychological strength here be mentally tough and let's get through this or are there some other strategies that you encourage your clients to use journaling the talking about it whatever whatever it may be yeah i mean for for a
2: first-time competitor I, I don't want to say that they're screwed, but um, <laughs> it's um hard to know what you don't know if you're a first or even maybe second time competitor. You know, like I, I mean it's it's almost impossible for a first time competitor. I, I mean, for an experienced coach, you guys know it's hard, it's hard when you have somebody that's never really dieted down before, picking their show weight is difficult, even for an experienced coach. So for a first-time competitor, it's it's damn near impossible. Um, so in that case, I would actually recommend. Dieting down to a semi-lean weight first to like gauge. I, I would say one of the workarounds is not not choosing a show beforehand. Um, just diet with the and this even this I, I like this for experienced competitors too. But um, diet with the goal of reaching your best physique, and once you know you're maybe three four weeks out from that, then find a show and jump in. Um, because it removes the, um, because I think oftentimes choosing a show really far in advance, the goal becomes the date. Um, but I would rather have the goal be your best look. Yep. Um, and there's so many bodybuilding shows now, like, I mean, if you don't mind a little bit of travel, you can just, you know, you can dive in anywhere. Um, maybe not with COVID, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, uh, so I would say that's probably the best workaround is diet in order to get lean. But I think a lot of people. Um, have difficulty staying on track with that. Um, But ultimately, I think being able to focus more on the process than the result is going to be the thing that will help get them there. Um, And I I would say like one one kind of mantra I give to a lot of my clients is, uh, you know, stop looking at your show date. Stop. You know, if if you really are sure you want to do this, stop looking at the date, stop thinking about the show. I want you thinking about your, your next training session, your next meal, your next good night of sleep. Um, I only want you looking at the next thing that will make you better. Thinking about your show is not going to make you better. I yeah. love it. I
1: hope every future client we ever get watches this. And I, I, everything <laughs> you just dropped is like the a coach's unicorn that we just hope to see in our next application. Hey, I just want to compete. You know, let, Let's just start dieting whenever – we, we feel like we're a hop and a skip away. We'll pick a date. Um, and then they're not texting you and like look like Googling the show to see who's competing with them and like all that crazy stuff. Yeah. You know, I, just worried about today and tomorrow. Like, <laughs> yeah. Paying
2: attention to variables you can't control is so counterproductive. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, I, I think there's also something that like bodybuilders are, are super guilty of this, too where they're like, uh, they're, you're told to um, imagine, you know, uh, positive imagery, you know what I mean? There's imagery, you're supposed to imagine like yourself on stage collecting the first place trophy. And, um, you know, that that will help, you know, push you along. Um, research in psychology shows that the, the, the um, visual imagery of, you know, positive outcomes uh, actually leads to worse performance. Um, with, I mean, that's clearly been proven in psychological, uh, studies is that, um, when you're sitting there and, and, and the the studies have shown that the main reason is exhaustion. Um, you know, if you imagine yourself on stage collecting your first place trophy and stuff like that, um, you can create like an emotional response in yourself because it feels good. And, um, also, you know, those positive emotional responses usually have a, um, a come down, and it's exhausting so it's like um try to remain as steady as possible and focus
0: on that very that very next thing that will actually make you better yeah i think that's i think that's kind of rerouting it to be very process oriented which is what we try and coach a lot of our clients on be process oriented check your boxes today the outcome's going to be there for you it'll it trust me that first place trophy it'll be waiting for you but only if you handle the process of checking your boxes today it's it's not very sexy people don't want to hear that not at all <laughs>
1: It and it makes me think about like certain scenarios too that I know we've had this past year where like a client will be talking about wrecking nationals, getting their pro card, and they haven't even qualified yet, but they not haven't even competed that. yet. We're, we're months away from qualifying, and we just had these like four massive struggles over the past three weeks that we've been trying to overcome. <laughs> like, I always call that the WWE approach. Like. <laughs>
2: Like <laughs> everyone in nationals better watch out. I'm coming in, brother.
1: Not <laughs> to hurt some feelings,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that um you know, uh, people forget, and I literally just made a post about it yesterday, but um people always think that somehow their their wanting of a first place is somehow enough to be just deser- deserving of a first place. Um, but the only way you deserve is through your actions. And, you know, if you can't translate that want into positive and effective action, then you're you're fooling yourself. It, it's a fantasy at that point.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the next part of this question is more over on the coaching side of things as opposed to the athlete side of things. When when you get a client that, you know, you look at their check in, maybe they're two or three weeks out. They're already on low calories. They're already on, you know, are very, very high cardio low calories and you're like, all right, this person still, you know, has a solid three to four pounds to lose They're three to four weeks out. The next cut is going to have to be a serious one. This one makes me a little bit nervous.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you kind of rationalize that? How do you go about that mentally when you make that cut? Cause I get small women that I coach and it's like, holy shit. Our next calorie <laughs> cut has you eating 900 calories. I'm I'm concerned for you. So how do you kind of get over that? Um, No, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Like if you get a hundred pound
2: bikini competitor, you're like, man, we're really going for it here.
0: Um,
2: So I I think the first thing that I do is talk to them. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer in communication because um, I think if it comes to this point where you're just this guy that's prescribing things and they're expected to follow, um, you know, I like to say like, this is what needs to be done. Um, and I will say, do you think you are up to this? Um, so I want their feedback and I want them to, um, also take ownership of our plan. And I do that all the way through the process, but you know what I mean? I want them to be, I want them to be able to say, yes, I can. Or, you know, if they have objections to it, speak up. Um, and then I'll also just make it clear to them that if you start to struggle or you start to feel like you're going to binge or you're too tired, or you just, um, I say, talk to me about it and we will find, you know, find an alternate solution or a workaround. So, um, I talk to them first and then I say, this is what I think needs to be done. Are you on board with this? And usually they're like, yeah, I mean, bodybuilders are, 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 you know, they don't want they don't want to be seen as weak, but a lot of times they're like, okay, we can do this, but there's a lot more, um, and, and in my experience, there's a lot more, um, willingness to take on the challenge. If the challenge has been
0: presented to them rather than forced upon them, if that makes sense. Yeah. You're oh, making thought... them part of the process as opposed to coercing them into it. Here's what you have to do. Here's what I am demanding that you do and You're flipping that. I like that. Psychologically, that makes sense. Do you have any like do you read like a lot of psychology books? Are you really into like a lot of the psychology research? I I am. Uh you know, you know, uh,
2: it's kind of funny. I'm actually working on a new book that is like purely psychological based. Um, I, I I'm so when I first started coaching, um, at the time some of the things that I was doing were significantly different than I think a lot of other people were doing. And um, and i knew that it worked because i had done it with a few people and i knew that um a, but then the problem was i found that a significant number of people could not see it through to the end Um. Uh, whether it be um, confidence issues or motivation issues or um discipline issues whatever it may be um, they didn't seem to have the mental tools to finish the the training and nutrition plans that i was putting in place so um and uh i i was I'm kind of no, I I had been notoriously bad at understanding people. And so, um, I was like, I need to learn how people think. And so, um, I probably, you know, I probably do like a 33.3% of my time devoted to training research, 33.3% nutrition and 33.3% to psychology. Um, and I would say I started to get a much better handle personally on the psychological research probably around 2013, 2014, which is when my business really started to take off. And I was like, I can really build, I don't need these incredibly mentally tough athletes to join with me. I can kind of build them from the ground up, if that makes sense. Uh, And so, um, yeah, I I think it's more useful than people realize because um, I think what people think looks like mental toughness or strength is oftentimes kind of a masking, you know, these guys that are like, I'm just going to put my head down and not look at anything. I'm going to grind through. And yeah. you guys have seen, those are the guys that binge is the hardest when they go off and, you know, they can't get on track. And, and so, um, yeah, I'm a big believer in kind of, you can't, you can't execute
1: the physical without the mental behind it, driving it. I'd imagine getting into that aspect to not only helps you sort of like mold your clients, but it's probably helped you mold yourself a little bit to different like types of individuals as well. Instead of just having, Hey, I can only work with this one person, this person that just does.
2: <laughs> yeah. You, and, and you were absolutely right. Um, I, I mean, perfect example. I'm not an anxious guy. Um, I've never struggled, you know, I'm fortunate, I've never struggled with anxiety or anything like that. But um, it took me time to understand how people's anxieties play out during prep anxiety of what if I don't look good, what if I don't place well, will I be ready, things like that. And so um, reading a lot of research on, you know, anxiety, generalized anxiety, things like that, how to mitigate them, made me a lot better in terms of how to work with other people. Um, and, and I think that there are a lot of like, characteristics. Uh, So the the new book I'm working on is, it's all about um, the characteristics that lead to someone being mentally tough. And um, you'll find that each person has like strengths and weaknesses within these characteristics, whether it be motivation or confidence or discipline, or resiliency, and some people are better at one or not the other. And so it's like, it kind of becomes like a puzzle where you're, you're like, okay, this person's clearly lacking in confidence, how do we work on building that up? Along the same time where I'm like, let's follow this diet. Let's follow this training. <laughs> you know what I mean, so, um, you kind of pick your points where, where the
0: improvements need to happen the most. And for coaches that probably don't see the value or maybe they don't see the value yet in psychology, I would assume that your retention rate of clients has also gone significantly up since starting to specialize more or pay more attention to the psychological aspect.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I don't, um, I don't work with a lot of clients. I mean, this may sound like a big number, but over almost 11 years now, I've only worked with a little over 400 clients. Um, that's, you know, that I, I, I usually keep people. And, and I think the biggest thing is, so sometimes you get people that come to you and they're just mentally, you guys know they're, they're like mentally on point, they're driven, they know how to handle their stuff, but they, they need help with tweaking their diet and their training um and in that case let's tweak the diet and training and then you have other people where it's like their diet and training programs seem to be locked in you know they're they're good with that they are genetically elite physically um and but they're like a mess mentally you know they're riddled with um confidence and motivation issues so in that case it's like all right i can pretty much set the training and the diet Uh, you know we're here it's autopilot let's do a little more mental work with this person. So I think it's just a, it's kind of like a diagnosis process of what each client needs um, to improve the most to make them the most successful.
3: Are there are there any times where you're just like, okay, I can't fix this. Like, I'm sorry, it, it's just not going to happen.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, um, I actually do. Um, so I, I do uh, have um, someone that I refer people to um, for like online, you know, therapy, um, that, that is athlete minded. I, I always say that, um, I can help people with things, but I'm like, I draw the line. If I think we need to start talking about your childhood, then so, so somebody <laughs> else needs to take care of that. If, 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 if we need to ask you about your childhood, I'm going to let somebody else ask about that. I'm probably going probably to get that contact from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will. I'll give it to you. Cause I, you know, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm not I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I, I can help with the more surface. I can help with the, the process of, of improving your thought process. Um, yeah. But I can't have, I'm not qualified to help
0: people overcome like past trauma issues or anything like that, you know? So circling back to the athlete who you know maybe has a couple pounds left to lose, they're a couple weeks out. Are there any strategies? The question that I wrote down just has like physiological strategies, but now I want to lump psychological strategies in there as well. Are there any physiological or psychological strategies that you use in those final few weeks when the going really gets rough? Um, physiological strategies is that um,
2: I think oh. it's always that fine line between okay, you wanna push, but you don't wanna, I mean, I think we've all seen it where, um, now there's a difference between natural and enhanced athletes because enhanced athletes, you can push extremely, extremely hard and not really have as much physical um, detriments take place. So I think that if you're an enhanced athlete, there's a reminder that you can push extremely, extremely hard and you're not going to see like a deterioration of of your physique natural athletes is a little more of a fine line to walk. Um, so I I would say in general, um, I, I, I hate to sound so simplistic, but I mean, you're going to need a big caloric cut, um, and a, a big increase of cardio. Hopefully I think there's a good setting up process that needs to take place. If you've already cut food, you haven't given yourself enough time and you've already cut food really like as low as you can go in the weeks prior and cardio is already pretty high. There's not really anywhere you can go. So I think that you need to, um, uh, make sure you leave yourself some room for that last few weeks push. But, um, you know, then I think it's a matter of if somebody hasn't been losing up to that point, look at some of the variables with their diet. Um, uh, people are really notorious for having calories sneak their way in. Uh, you know, are they, are they chewing three packs of gum? Yeah. Are they chewing three packs of gum per day and eating five containers of Tic Tacs? Um, you know, uh, even little things like excessive use of cooking spray, um, that I can't believe it's not butter spray. You know what I mean? It says no calories on it, but if you're putting, if you're eating, you know, consuming a hundred sprays per day, um, that's going to start adding up. All these things come together. Um, amino acid use is a big one. Uh, in the United States, they don't allow caloric, uh, calories to be listed on the labels of amino acids but they have calories just like any other protein source. I mean, sometimes I'll have clients say, well, you know, I've been getting hungry, so I've been mixing in some branched-chain amino acids in my water. And when I when I tell them to add up their branched-chain amino acids, their essential amino acids, their glutamine, their arginine, I'm like, you're consuming like 80 additional grams of protein right here. Um, So uh, uh, so, uh, you know, I'll cut sometimes uh, one tactic I'll do is I'll just say no amino acids. Um, You know, we're going pure diet. Um, from here. So, um, I think that's a big one. And then, um, step count, I, I I don't usually like to measure step counts, but in the final week, if you got to, if you, if you got to push, you've got to push, so I'll prescribe some cardio, but then I'll also prescribe a step count. Um, so I would say those are more from the physiological aspect from the psychological aspect. Um, I would say this is the only time if you're in the final few weeks where I'll use what I would call like a little more cheerleader type motivation, um, you know, I think if you use that too soon, it wears, it wears thin, but I think final weeks you can do it. You know, some, some things like saying, I know you can do this, you know, it's hard. Um, you know, empathize with them that, you know, as a competitor myself, I know how difficult it is. So I find that telling them, you know, about any difficult experiences I had shows them that it, it can be done and, you know, you guys compete too. I think that, um, I'm not, I'm not this great competitor. Most of, I I always say probably 75 to 80% of my clients would kick my ass on stage. (laughs) Um, but I think that, um, it helps when clients understand that you're not asking them to do anything you wouldn't do yourself or haven't done. And so, um, you know, I think, I think making it clear, like this is what needs to be done from a psychological aspect. Then I would just say making it clear that this is what
0: needs to be done. Um, all that's left is to do it. And something that I think Paul might actually disagree with you on here is the end stage of a contest prep for an enhanced versus a natural athlete and like the the possibility of rate of tissue loss. Paul, did you want to expand on that?
1: Yeah, we, we can talk about that a little bit. I, I think that sometimes people overappreciate what steroids can or, you know, being enhanced can do. Um. And I feel like, you know, one thing that sort of speaks to this um is a lot of enhanced guys will come out of shows and they do these rebounds. and they'll they'll a lot of them get kind of chubby, but you know, some of them gain what seems to be like an appreciable amount of muscle post show. And you know, when you start looking at the literature, there are like, the the biggest circumstances where we see that is when people are regaining lost tissue because we know that can happen incredibly rapidly from detraining or hard dieting or whatever anything like that. So I think like a lot of times what we see when like enhanced guys come out and rebound is just regaining lost tissue, um, because uh, I mean a lot of guys, you know, sort of like what you mentioned, sort of. Do preps that are a little too short for the amount of body fat they have to lose and end up having to grind really hard and do lots of cardio, get the calories really low, or on the enhanced aspect, maybe go a little too hard into certain uh, certain compounds, stuff like that. Uh, I, I actually agree with that. I think it should probably
2: quantify like what I mean with pushing harder is that um, I would say for natural athletes in the final weeks. I don't want to see us losing any more than 1.5 pounds per week, usually. Um, but with enhanced athletes, I may bump that up to 2.25, maybe 2.5. Um, I'm not talking about like the, you know, the giant drops that I see from like, sometimes I see guys losing like four and five, (laughs) six pounds, you know, in the final weeks. So I, I guess I should, um, qualify that a little bit with, uh, I, I definitely agree with you that I think that there's, um, the 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 peds don't allow for anything goes type behavior um I, I would say that the ability to push a little bit harder um the ability to push a little bit harder without the negative repercussions just exists but it's not like this unlimited power so i i, I agree with you on that because um i i mean you do see it i mean you see a lot of times too with uh the enhanced guys where um on show day, uh yeah, they look lean, but you're like three weeks ago, you looked almost as lean, but significantly fuller. Yeah. Um, so I, I agree with you that I just think it's um you know it's very interesting because not always, but um working with enhanced athletes, I think that um the enhanced versus natural like the gas pedal of people that gravitate towards the enhanced side versus the natural side is a little bit different. The enhanced side people are usually not always of course, but going to want to be more like, let's push this, you know, let's go. Everything's a little faster. And so, um, I think sometimes on the natural side, you need to speed those guys up a little bit. And sometimes on the, on the enhanced side, you need to slow those guys down a little bit. Um, so I would say it's kind of like bringing everyone towards the middle
0: a little bit more. <laughs> it's gonna, that's what I was going to say. There seems to be this like disconnect where enhanced guys are like, yo, I bet I can be ready in eight weeks. And on the natural <laughs> guys are like, you know what? I think I'll take a nice, aggressive, 48-week prep. <laughs> like, hey, wait, hold on. Wait, what did you say? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that, no, you're absolutely
2: right. And um, I, I think that it's just, at the start of every prep um I I always try to keep in mind of who I'm working with. Um sometimes when I have those people that are like you know I, if I know they have a strong gas pedal. Um I don't even like to use the word prep. Um because if you start with the word prep, they're like you know we you know for even an even natural guys can be like this too, but the, you know we'll be like 25 weeks out and they're like Prep starts today, you know, can't talk to my family anymore. I'm in prep, um, you know, and I'm like, you're going to burn yourself out. So I'll sometimes say things like let's trim up a little bit to get in a good, (laughs) you know, a good position for prep. Um, whereas other guys that have like this slow gas pedal, I'm like, we need to like, Hey, let's start cutting down. You know, like now is the time because the thing too, is a lot of times guys always think I have plenty of time and I'm like, guess what? at four weeks out, everybody's pushing, like, how are you going to separate yourself then? You know, like I, I don't think many people are pushing themselves at 15 weeks out. doesn't mean you need to kill yourself at 15 weeks out, but having a little push now is when you separate yourself from everyone else, because at four weeks out, guess what? Everyone's pushing to the max. You're not going to be able to separate yourself from the pack at that point. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's, it is very interesting to see the gas pedals. Um, and, and I tend to be a little bit more of a middle of the road kind of guy with that. So sometimes when I'm working with the natural athletes, I'm like, I'm like, we can lose more than 0.3 per week here. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, when I work with some enhanced guys, I'm like, all right, yeah, no, you can't do the eight week prep. And, um, I, I mean, you get guys trying to lose like 50 pounds in 10 weeks. And I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've, I've never really understood the slow rate of loss in the natural crowd either, because on the enhanced side. It makes sense. If you lose slow, there's a possibility that maybe if you're early on in your career, you can get some recomp and you can actually do some growing early on and prep as a natural athlete. That shit ain't happen. You just, you
2: ain't going to get that. The, the only thing I'll say with the natural side is, uh, I mean, and I guess, I guess these are relative terms we're using fast and slow. So I guess yeah. I should be more specific. Like, um, I generally think a pound per week is good. I I, I like that rate. Um, and, you know, there's a, a little bit of give or take on each side, um, depending on who you're dealing with. Obviously, like smaller females are going to lose maybe a little slower than that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think there is some muscle retention. So like I, you know, I've, I've read a few studies and I've just personally witnessed that, you know, once you start getting up to the for some people, once you start getting up close to the two pound per week, Mark, it's like, they look a little squishy almost. Um, yeah. but, uh, no, you're right. I think that there's a diminishing returns with slow preps where it's like, um, all right, we need to move because you could have been, you could have been training hard and growing a little bit, uh, you know, not much as a natural athlete, but a little At least bit. Any bit. This prep. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then you get people too, that do these slow preps. And then they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to diet down every year or every other year. And I'm like, you're, you're dieting
0: almost more than you're, you're actually eating and training and growing. Yeah. And I Cam, think- Cam, I think I actually had another question regarding Jarek regarding, so Cam just had someone compete at the Chicago pro. And then how long did Jarek have before Texas? Nine weeks, seven, seven weeks. So shredded for a Chicago pro has to get him from shredded to battle of Texas. And he wanted to ask about like reverse dieting cam. I don't want to ask your question
3: incorrectly. So, so go ahead. Yeah. So I was just curious, um, to about how you, you go about deciding when someone is ready to start reverse dieting. Um, and how conservative or aggressive do you start their approach? And I guess know when to make changes moving forward.
2: Um, so when it's, um, in the reverse dieting, how, how much t- in the scenario, how much time until their next show, is it like weeks away or years away or how, how uh, seven weeks, seven weeks. And would you say they're lean enough already? Yeah. Okay. I mean, so in that case, the first thing I try to lay the groundwork on is, um, when they're seven weeks is, I would say seven weeks between shows is a dangerous amount of time. Because it's long enough to where they're like, I've got some time to relax. <laughs> and so uh, the thing the thing that I try to minimize is immediate post-show overeating. Um, because, you know, they think I want to fill out, you know, this is the mindset. It, it, and it's like evolutionarily speaking, of course, there's a lot of things in place to drive our mind, our minds to drive us to eat, um, when we're really lean. So <clears throat> I think, um, in the immediate post-show period, one of the worst scenarios I see is people eat way too much for the next two days and they gain too much. And then you have to go almost immediately back into dieting. Um, so, I, you know, cause in, in two days, how much muscle are you going to regrow? You know, um, and I, and so I would say that, um, I try to make it clear to them first off, go enjoy that night. The next day we'll do a refeed, a good refeed, you know, we just, but we're not going to let calories run amok unchecked. Um, so I try to say like we can regrow, but it needs to be in a sustained and steady manner. So, I mean, if you're going to go with, um, if you're going to go seven weeks beforehand, Um, I would say first, make sure that you can set it up to where they're not going to binge, um, and overeat in that first process. But I would start off fairly high. If they're enhanced, you can do quite a bit more from what, what I've seen than if they're natural. Um, so I would, um, if they're already pretty lean, I would probably jump it up pretty high. Like even give them a couple refeed days in a row and see how their body weight reacts. Um, but I would kind of do like more of a wave approach where you'll actually start high. So if they're, if they're down here with their caloric intake for the show, you can jump them up high almost immediately ride that for a little bit, dip it down to sharpen them back up a little bit, because there is kind of a different look sometimes when you're coming down versus going up and then you can come back up after you sharpened up, but a more subtle. So post show you're here. You come down to here, calorically speaking, and then bring it back up to maybe here, if that makes sense. Um, so I, I would kind of, you know, down and then up, but not quite as high up.
3: Um, so it's interesting what all you said, because I, I think when we set this up, he was just, just had gotten out of the show. And now we're about four weeks later. And so what had happened was that first weekend after put on that weight, we just went back into to just digging it for one week and he was good. For the following week after we brought calories back up and then started to kind of lose it with the time or uh, just mentally with how much time was still remaining. And uh, I believe his calories ended up getting above 14 times body weight. And he started dropping weight and coming back down and his calories have been able to stay. I mean, he he was digging into the Chicago show maybe around night. 1500 calories and he was 215 mm-hmm. and 1900 and i think now he's sitting around 3200 or something near the same weight so it's just pretty neat yeah because i remember we had a conversation about that
1: when he was starting to kind of lose it a bit And i'm like well one we could probably save this if you just give him a little more food you know and then two if you want to take advantage of some sort of rebound or growth with like this, uh, somebody who's enhanced, you're probably going to want their food at least somewhere around or near maintenance um, for some sort of time period, and then uh, what was it? Shit, I lost my train of thought already. Well,
2: I mean, you know what though? You're you're right though. Like um, the the big di- I the big difference I noticed between natural and enhanced in this regard is that <clears throat> I think with the enhanced guys. Um, in the refeeding process, you're better to aim a little too high um, because the repercussions of having to come back down a little bit are not as great. Whereas like if, if you, if you get a natural athlete entirely shredded and then you aim too high in the refeed and they put on some fat and then you need to re-lose more fat that you've already lost. Um, they flatten out like a pancake. <laughs> um, whereas like, I think that when you're enhanced, you bring food up, you can actually regrow a little bit. Um, Whereas the natural guy, um, a lot of the research shows when they're super lean, I mean, God, don't mean to scare anybody that's not aware, but I mean, when you're natural and you're like show conditioning, research shows you're going to have the testosterone of like a 65, 70 year old man. You're not going to build muscle. (laughs) right? Then So it's like, really, you just want to fill out enough to kind of mitigate some of the physical stressors upon your body. Um, and so it's not even really a regrowth type thing. It's sort of just a maintenance and, uh, damage mitigation technique, whereas enhanced athletes, you can actually regrow a little bit because, um, depending on what, what the person's taking, um, and how much, but you, you know, so I think you're better off aiming a little bit higher for the enhanced athletes. Um, and then maybe not quite as high for the, for the natural. I got my train of thought
1: back, uh. He's yeah. Back. yeah it comes back to uh what you said earlier when cam said brought food up weight went down and you were talking about how like calories sneak their way in there and we had a conversation with him last night where i was like you
3: quit snacking didn't you and he was like <laughs> yeah i did <laughs> and I was chicken and stuff like that he ended up with a buddy local that just sponsored him Cook all the foods plain. I was like, I don't care if it's a meal prep company, take it out of the container, weigh it itself, make sure it's good. Ends up dropping like five pounds. Like, oh, well, we might end up giving you more food now. Yeah. You know, and and that's the,
2: the toughest thing too is like getting clients to tell you exactly what's going on. Because, you know, and I try to tell them too if you're not telling me what's going on, I'm making changes off of false information. You know, if, uh, I, I, one analogy I always use is that like, if I'm, if we're on a road trip and I'm navigating and, you know, I tell them to get off at whatever number exit, and then I take a, take a nap and I wake up and I'm like, did you take that exit? And they're like, oh yeah, I definitely took that exit, (laughs) but they didn't take an exit. I don't know where the hell we are. Do you know what I mean? Like I can't navigate you anymore because you're lying to me about not taking the, about
0: taking the (laughs) exit. (laughs) So we we touched on what I like to call caloric castration. Some of those one of those side effects that comes with that super elite world championship level conditioning. So what are some of the other ugly, less than ideal side effects that you see it and cliff, I need you to clear it up. Who has it worse when it comes to end of contest side effects, men or women? Oh man, I I think.
2: All right. So, I mean, we'll start off with the the side effects of contest. You know, um, the, I mean, common things are you're cold all the time. You're starving all the time. You can't sleep. Um, there's a general rise in agitation and, um, and your libido is, you know, in the tank. I mean, it it (laughs) makes sense though, because, you know, if we're, if we're starving, if we're starving, it makes sense evolutionarily speaking where, your body's like, Hey, you know, you can't sleep right now. You need to go find food. Cause I mean, I think we've all experienced it where, you're really lean. You're kind of just on edge. Um, you know, it's like, don't sleep, go find food, don't have sex, go find food. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, I, I will say, well, I'll come back. Um, I think that the libido hit hits both men and women quite a bit. I think that men, notice it more than women, because, um, I think, um, a significant part of being a guy is our sex drives. <laughs> so, um, I think that we tend to, we're more aware of it. You know, I mean, women, women have the ability to go longer than men without sex. So I think that, you know, when, when we don't, when we're not noticing, we're not feeling sexual our sexual drive anymore, it's like something seriously wrong here. <laughs> um, you know, um, as far as women, I think one thing that's worse with women is the increase in anxiety, um, uh, stress seems to get higher in women than it does in men. Um, but, uh, in general, I would say men probably seem to have it a little worse, I think, um, because I don't think that men handle some of it as well. Like men don't handle the drop in their sex drive as well. Um, even when it comes to like doing cardio. Um, when it comes to doing cardio, you, I mean, you can give a girl 45 minutes of cardio per day and they're like, you know, I could do a little bit more if you want me to, you give them, you give a guy 30 minutes of cardio and they're going to whine like crazy. Um, so I, I think that, um, I think that men probably have it worse, but you know, one thing I will say is that there seems to be, um, you know, muscle memory is a proven, proven mechanism. Uh, Now, I have no evidence for this other than anecdotal, but it almost seems as if there's some sort of fat loss, uh, uh, fat loss memory, um, because I find that people that diet repeatedly, they seem to be able to get back to the previous best conditioning they've reached with fewer side effects than what they had previously. I don't know if you guys have noticed that at all
3: with uh women and usually quad separation
1: yeah yeah, yeah. one thing I, i'm so glad you steered the conversation in that direction i almost thought we were going to disagree for a minute but i feel like lately men turn into what you expect how you expect women to act at the end of prep and lately i feel like almost every guy that we've worked with uh prep wise uh, I don't want to say every, but a lot of them, I, I hit this point where I'm like, dude, this is embarrassing. the the way
3: you're <laughs> acting right now, it's embarrassing. <laughs> I think it's the flip side of the coin. Men solid in off season, women solid at the end of the contest prep.
2: <laughs> yeah. So and, and and women do generally in my experience, women don't like the off season as much. Well, and you know, that probably also plays cause guys are feeling small during contest prep, which they don't want to feel yeah. and women are feeling bigger in the off season, which they don't want to feel. So it, it tends towards, um, a little bit
0: more positive motivation results there. So I wonder how much I like the idea of the fat loss memory. I might steal that. I won't give you any credit for it though. It's not mine. <laughs> completely mine now um but i wonder how much of it is like true physiological fat loss memory or yeah. if they just get better at the habits of <laughs> diet if they just get more skilled at dieting and they understand more of what's to come and what to expect so they can handle a little bit more of those kind of both physiological and psychological perturbations that come with the endo prep better i would say that um
2: I, I pulled my punch from saying it because I don't want to keep coming back to the site. I don't want to keep th- seeming like a one trick pony with the psychological stuff, but I would say that psychological absolutely plays a big factor in it. Um, because I think that expectation also plays a huge role in how we react to certain things. Like if you look at the research on resiliency, um, there is a significant, I mean it, also it's well documented that the psychological impacts are physiological um I've done hormone panels with some of my clients, and um, I can definitely correlate drops in testosterone in a contest prep with how relaxed or stressed someone seems on um, the same people as well um, but I uh, and, and you can also see it one of the one of the cooler studies I've ever read um, is that they gave um <clears throat> they gave uh, human subjects, uh, a distinctly flavored drink with immunosuppressants in it. And they did that for three days straight. And of course you feel like crap when you, your immune system gets suppressed. Um, and then they let their immune system recover and they brought them in later and g- gave them the, um, drink without the immunosuppressants and their immune system dropped. Um, And so it's like expectation, you know, um, can play a big factor. And so I think that sometimes people that will tell themselves that they must do these certain things or they, they, they're going to feel like crap and it becomes the snowball effect. But I think that other times people that are a little more analytical in their approach, you know, when you die it down, you're like, well, I could have done this better this time I can make this better. Um, and so I think that that can be a big factor of um knowing what to expect knowing what's normal and then finding the ways to be able to mitigate the the negative side effects that you see and um not stressing about it because i mean stress is a testosterone killer in itself um i mean you guys remember your first contest prep you remember like the realizations of like whoa i'm way more i'm in way a lot more suffering than i anticipated i didn't know my sleep was going to be so bad or that I was gonna be shivering all the time,
1: and you know what I mean, like. That was uh, just Paul, <laughs> huh? that was just you, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I just did my first one. Honestly, it was less. Here's the thing, my my perception of contest prep, like, and don't get me wrong, I could have been leaner, could have pushed harder, you know, um, all of that. But like to me, the act of prep was not. Man, this is gonna sound bad. Not that bad. But it's keeping everything else together while you're doing it, like being hungry and like tired. If all you had to do was lay on the couch and do nothing all day, that would be cool. <laughs> but like keeping up with all your clients, making sure programs are going out on time, responding to, you know, just staying on top of life and then the personal stuff, too. Like, I think that's what makes prep hard and stressful.
2: Yeah, I I, I don't think that there's a you, you are absolutely right. Um, because, and then, and then I think sometimes people may get harder on themselves because they, um, I call this more of like an advanced prep technique in terms of discipline. Um, but, uh, there are certain things that I think each person kind of needs in their life, like stability of their, of their profession and, um, friends and family and things like that. And so, um, a lot of times bodybuilders work. Uh, counterproductively, They're like, I'm in contest prep. I'll see my friends in a few months. You know, I'm not going to talk to my family anymore. Um, they remove all of the joy from their life. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's like, no wonder you're struggling with sticking to your diet because food is a joy in life. You know what I mean? Like uh, we all love to eat. So it's like, you okay you're already removing one of your fundamental joys in life which is eating and then you're going to make it worse by not doing any activities that you enjoy or talking to people that you like talking to and it's like of course that you're going to binge occasionally because your your body and
0: brain are searching for some form of joy <laughs> in, your, in your existence <laughs> I also think there's something very dangerous about idle hands during a prep. So when you tell your family, your friends work, I quit work. I'm not coming in anymore. I got a prep. I'm a bodybuilder now. And then you just have nothing to do. And you're sitting in front of the computer and you're hungry as shit. And there's some hot cocoa Hershey's kisses staring at you. They're staring at me right now. They're looking at me. You have no power over me. And then you just go. Yeah. But I agree with what Paul's saying though, too, is like with, um,
2: with, so like, but if you didn't have the stressors, you could just focus more on the things that you enjoy. Like, you know, like if you didn't have to do the work, you could, you know, talk to people, you could go see a movie or, you know what I mean? Like you could do the, it, it, I think it's the compounding, like, okay, what are the, um, what are the pleasant things in your life? And what are the unpleasant things in your life? I mean, it's like, if you let these during prep, if you let the, the pleasant things in your life diminish while these unpleasant things, because the unpleasant things become more unpleasant when you're tired and hungry, right? So it's like these things are already going to start stacking up. Can you make sure that at least, very least, these don't drop?
0: Um, and so I, I, yeah, go ahead. So uh, Paul, I, it was I, your I, clients' fault. Blame your damn clients. Uh,
1: no, no, I definitely see your point too, Ryan. Because it being busy um, definitely made me so much less food focused. You know, Um, but at the same time, like the the stress of like, okay, we wake up, we immediately we we get ready to go to the gym, we eat, we go to the gym, we bang out our cardio, we get a big portion of our steps done for the day. And then I'm going to work. And but now instead of writing a program in 30 minutes, because like mentally after all that activity and just being hungry and stuff, instead of writing a program in 30 minutes, it takes like an hour plus And then you got like six of them to do that day and then people are texting you in between and uh, you're fading sharply as the day goes on and girlfriend comes home from work and you're like, I still have a lot of work to do. You finish your work and then you're like, OK, it's uh, 730 at night. I need to eat my last meal and go to bed immediately. Just (laughs) after months of that, you're just like, dude, just trying to hold it all together, you know. (laughs) For
0: sure. For sure. Now, I think I've been on both ends of the spectrum. I've been very not busy in preps, and I've been very busy in preps. And I mean, I don't know if I would call one easy or easier than the other. They both have their their pros and cons. But um, one question, uh, one more question that I did want to ask Cliff, because I think there is a misconception. Now, people look at Cliff's clientele. Cliff has a lot of very, very elite competitors. And people tend to believe that because these individuals are genetically elite, they have an easy time getting to stage. And Cliff's already smiling, kind of laughing because he realizes how silly that statement is. But what are some of the things that even your genetic elite clients have to do um, that, you know, Joe Schmo also has to do to get in shape? Um, you know, Man, that is a great question because, uh,
2: oftentimes people don't, especially high level competitors don't talk about their struggles publicly, um, which I think is good practice to be honest with you. Um, I think it's best to confide in those struggles with a few select people, not the world. Um, but, uh, it happens and top competitors cheat on their diet too. Uh, and And, in my experience, possibly even at a higher rate than I would say mid-level competitors. I'm not going to um, and I say this because they have the genetics to allow them to get away with it occasionally. And um, in the back of their mind, they know this. Um, and so uh, you know, I think one of the the difficulties is that it's hard for everybody. And so it's like, I I think you always have to convince people with average genetics that if they do everything correctly, they can possibly win. And with elite genetics, you have to convince them that if they don't do everything correctly, they can possibly lose. Um, and so, um, I would say the struggles are, are equal. Um, a lot of times, uh, you're going to be looking at, um, A a perfect example, I don't know if you guys have noticed the same, I think that people with extremely fast metabolic rates seem to struggle more with um, hunger during their preps because they've never had to develop the tools of dealing with hunger in their life. They've been able to free eat for their entire life, and so a contest prep comes along and hunger is like a new sensation for them. They've never had to develop those tools to do that. And so I would say along those lines with elite competitors, genetically elite in different ways um, is sometimes it can be a rude awakening because in prep, you can't coast on genetics quite as much as you used to. And so if you haven't had to develop the tools to be able to do these things correctly, I mean, I remember coaching a guy one time who was one of the more genetic elite clients that I've ever coached. He was extremely muscular. He won. He won multiple natural shows pro natural pro shows, big ones too. Uh, and his training intensity was outrageous. Like we'd go in the gym, we'd go in the gym and he would, uh, he would never squat over like three fifteen for like six reps. And if I had to take a guess, he was probably capable of like mid five. And I'd be like, "Why aren't you pushing?" And he's like, "I just like to get a good rhythm going." And um, <laughs> and I'd be like, and "Here I'm like, damn, it's like and something so, you um, expect out of like a tennis player." <laughs> yeah. so you know, he was he was beating guys on stage that probably busted their ass, but it caught up with him once he started going to the natural world championships. Like he never really cracked the top ten because. Eventually, you are going to run into people that have the similar genetic ability to you, but learn to develop those tools and so um, you, and, and overcome those struggles. So I think it's like just because it hasn't bitten you in the ass yet doesn't mean it won't. Um, and I think genetically, we all just have to work at the level that we've been given and try to maximize what we can do with
0: it. Absolutely, yeah. No, that's funny. <laughs> getting in a rhythm. You said you did train with him. If I was training with him and he had quads twice the size of mine and he's getting in a rhythm on squats, I I, I don't know. I might just I might just leave the gym. He he was um he was one of my uh
2: you know he was uh local to me and he's a, he's a great guy and but it was uh it was funny like my younger brother my younger brother was probably 16 at the time but he was pretty strong for a 16 year old i think he deadlifted like 385 for a couple reps when he was 16 and um the other guy i mean this is a champion level bodybuilder and he put on 315 and did like three or four reps and then my brother goes and does like 385 for a few and the guy goes wow you're really going for it <laughs> 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 and my brother goes, wait a minute, was that your first set? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, I, he goes my brother's 16 years old talking to this guy who's won multiple bodybuilding shows. My brother goes, I wouldn't count that. I'd I'd put that as a warm-up. <laughs>
3: <That's->
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, over the years, he did end up getting better at um, developing those techniques. But honestly, it took him getting his ass kicked a few times to really, like, you know, show him he needed to. So I think that, um, for everybody, the struggles are always there. It's just different. I think, um, oftentimes, um, for average competitors, it's like, okay, things are hard. Um, I have to push through, um, then I think for enhanced or not enhanced, but, uh, you know, elite competitors is the word I was looking for elite competitors. It becomes this, um, okay, things are hard. Do I need to push through? you know what I mean? And so it's like they have to
0: find their own way to be able to get themselves to do what needs to be done. Yeah. So I think we're coming up on our time limit, but the people love to hear numbers. They love to hear the horror stories and the low numbers, the crazy prep numbers. So, Cliff, I'm going to throw this one at you the lowest calories plus highest cardio that you've seen. And don't name any names because we don't want anyone to know who's who's doing this, who you're giving this out to that you've seen from competitors. Well, <laughs> like, don't, don't make it. me do this. That uh, I've prescribed no, or that I've seen that you've prescribed. Cliff you used to do a really, really good series. I don't know if you can plan on continuing doing it, you used to post, like, I remember you did it with Katie, uh, Katie, Ann, and you did it with a couple of your male world competitors. You posted like what their calories and their cardio were. And I'm like, holy shit, I wish more coaches would do this to see what these numbers actually look like. I, I, I need to do that again. It's been a couple of years since I've done that.
2: Um, you know, I'll even say her name because I wrote an article about it. Uh, (laughs) Um, uh, I worked with, um, uh, a client named Carrie Bolin. And so carries a, first off, she's a bodybuilder, a natural bodybuilder. Um, she, her stage weight was only 103 pounds because she was only five foot tall. Um, so she's more shredded than a bikini competitor. So like, you know, when body fat levels get even lower, the metabolic rate drops even more. Um, she was like close to 50 years old. So she was like menopausal. Um, she you know like i said so she's a little bit on the older side she's super lean um she you know she's tiny and um the lowest we got to was like an hour of cardio per day but we got down to like just under 900 calories per day for a few weeks there and i mean she spent most of her prep sub 1000 um and i felt Super wrong to me. Like I was yeah. like, I cannot believe this. And honestly, she was getting emails from me. It wasn't even her check-in day, and I'm like over here worried. I'm like, how are you doing, Carrie? Are <laughs> Do you feeling okay today? You know. Um. And you know. Oh, and to add on top of it, she had um. She had a uh, uh, a tear in um, in her shoulder, and she would she knew it was her last show till she retired. So she's like, I'm pushing through this. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was the lowest I'd ever gone. Um, I wouldn't, and I'm going to put the disclaimer on that. Um, so she was going for the natural bodybuilding world championships at the time. One, she was a very experienced competitor and I knew that she had it in her mentally to tolerate it and not be broken by it. And she had the chance to win and she did end up winning it actually. Um, But I always say like, I'm not going to go to that level for a first time, compete or a bikini competitor going to nationals for the first time. Like I'm not going to give someone eight, you know, 900 calories to have them get third call out instead of fourth at nationals. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think that there's a certain like building process that goes on and, you know, a risk reward type of, um, equation. And once again, I asked her, you know, I asked her like, Are you up to this? Do you feel good about this? Are you comfortable? Things like that.
1: I, I wanted to put two things in here real quick. One, I just wanted to see if you identify with this. Um, so I recently dieted a girl who is natural, who started her diet at 103 pounds. So like we first, I was like, Hey, let's dial in on maintenance. You know, we settled somewhere around 1400 calories we start the diet i'm already pulling like uh, i think 2 300 calories so we're already around like 1100 or so 12 1100 and i remember every weekend when I, I would go in to check her update i'm like please don't let this be the weekend i have to pull food and then when you see that yeah. and you don't you're like thank god i didn't have to pull food this <laughs> week like <laughs> let's keep this going as we can do you do you have those feelings Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it
2: is bad too. And I, I, and I always just like kind of ask how they're doing and, you know, I use the biggest gauge of is how they're doing. Um, another thing that I always say is that, um, the clients in general that usually struggle the most with like needing to get lower food and higher cardio are black female competitors. Um, I mean, you know, there's always exceptions, but I would say, usually black competitors have to go a little bit lower than white competitors with caloric intakes. Um, and women have to go a little bit lower with caloric intakes than men. So then when you get a black things usually need to be pushed to the extreme. And so, um, but the, the interesting thing is that, um, they don't seem to have the same suffering levels. Like they don't feel as bad on these lower calories that at least that I would expect. So like, I I coached this one competitor one time, and she won a couple of national pro shows herself. And I mean, we were down to, you know, she she was like in the one twenties, but we were down to like just under a thousand calories. And she was doing like an hour of cardio a day, but she was like sending me videos where she was still setting like personal records on
1: her lifts. And I'm like, I don't even understand this. Oh, Absolutely, man. And I actually with that same person right now, um, we're pulling food back up and I have her at like 1380 and she keeps under eating. And I'm like, you're not hungry. What? How are you not hungry? Like eat your food. But uh, no, something I wanted to circle around to you, because you said with some competitors, there's a certain place that you may not push them. Like, you know, you maybe you feel like they're just not ready for it. Um, so I'd imagine in some of those circumstances, you, uh, you sacrifice a bit of conditioning in those circumstances, right here, there with some clients. And I I was sort of wondering, cause I, I feel like that's something a lot of coaches struggle with. And I know I struggle with too, is like going into something and, just being too afraid to put somebody on stage that isn't there. Um, you know, one thing I'll say is that
3: like
2: one, if I think that they are capable of getting there, you know, mentally and physically, and I think we're coming up on a show and they're not quite ready for whatever reason, maybe they've cheated on their diet. Maybe I missed time, something I'm like, let's choose a later show. Um, so I try to really talk them in their show. Um, and, um, but if it's a matter of like, I try to stress to my, you know, and, and it's usually with someone that's like a first time competitor or a newer competitor, because I genuinely think that, um, how do I word this? But, um, I come off at times as being like a win at all costs coach, <laughs> um, but I'm more, um, I never sacrifice long-term reward for short-term reward. Um, and so if I have a client where I don't think that, and, and, you know, I, I I may be nitpicking here, but we may be talking the difference between like three pounds, you know, but those last three pounds can be brutal sometimes. So, um, if I have a client where I'm like, I don't think that they, you know, what's the, what's the reward at this first show if I continue to pile on cardio or cut calories. Is the reward a possible win? Or are we looking at going from, you know, fifth fifth place to fourth place? You know what I mean? So uh I, I try to ask myself, what is the reward for pushing this person even harder? Um, what is the risk? And especially if it's a newer competitor, the risk is I push them too far mentally because also with an experienced competitor, you can ask them, how are you doing? And they know. Um, Newer competitors, they don't really know exactly how they're doing. <laughs> you know, they they think they can push through anything, but you guys know. Ha, ha, have you ever seen those instances where a first time competitor got absolutely crushed by some coach, and then they never want to compete again, or they they can't get their they can't get their diet back on track because now they have like mental disorder issues with food, and like um, I view that as sacrificing short term uh, sacrificing the long-term reward for the short-term reward. And so, um, sometimes I'll tell my clients is, you know, uh, I'll say, I'll just lay it out. I'll say like, um, I think you will be at your best when we can get a tiny bit leaner in future shows. Um, based on what I've seen, I don't think that this is the show. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that this is, we come in here and we build upon this. Um, and, you know, and, and I'll even lay it out for them. You know, I, I am probably too honest at times, but I'll lay it out for them, like things that I need to see get better, um, and mentally and physically. Like, you know, if, if we needed more time, I'll say next time we need a little bit more time or, um, I need to see, I'll even, you know, like you said, there are sometimes where people laid out in their emails and they seem a little unsteady to me, um, like they're up and they're down and so you know, I, I'm going to pull my punches. I'm not going to give them a ton of cardio when I'm seeing this, i steadiness. And I'll say, we can get you leaner after we've developed a more steady, steady, um, demeanor through the entire prep. So, um, uh, I'll tell them what
1: we need to work on in order to be able to push that harder. Does that make sense? For sure. For sure. This is a weird endeavor. You know, I, I know I've mentioned this before on like previous podcasts, but like, uh, I feel like this is like one of the few competitive endeavors where the expectation that people have on themselves or maybe social media puts on people is like one of the only endeavors where as an amateur, the expectation is to have like an elite showing early on. Where like in every other athletic or competitive endeavor, like people just go through the ranks, they pay their dues and it takes time to reach that elite status man, you are so right with that.
2: Like how many times, I mean, I feel like every year or so there's a new person at my gym getting ready for their first show. And they're like, yeah, I figure I'll do this show and then
3: try to go to nationals for my pro card. And I'm like, like a middle school quarterback, like, yeah, I think I'm gonna go Atlanta Falcons training camp next week. Like,
2: uh, I start, I start working at like somebody starts working at like Chase Bang, they're like, I'm probably gonna be CEO in a few months. You better get used to it. You know, I'm like,
0: slow down. Like, why don't you do this one and see how it goes here. <laughs> If people have a previous athletic history, I think that you can kind of reel them in with that, though. It's like, all right. So your first game when you were on the varsity basketball team, (laughs) did you think that you were going to put up 30 points in a triple double? And they're like, no, I was just happy that I got in and I I grabbed two rebounds. It's like, okay, it's the same thing with bodybuilding. Like this first show, we're going to get in there. We're going to grab two rebounds. And that might be really good. Those might be game winning rebounds. And you might get a first and novice, a good placing and open. And we can build upon that. Yeah
1: did so i I' sorry, I know I'm trying to be respectful of your time, but it's, okay. but, but excuse things. him as he doesn't respect your time. <laughs> <laughs> but um did it take you a while to sort of be confident and comfortable with yourself to to be like, okay, like it's okay, you know that you know this person is gonna go on stage and, you know, um not be totally there and to sort of break that to clients and have them understand that as well, just on both ends, I guess.
2: Um, I I give myself a 95% rule. Um, I'll let people get up on stage at 95% of their best. Um uh if they're not if I don't feel they're 95% there, then I'm gonna say. Cause I feel like most people can get to 95% with, you know, with whatever tools they're working with. And I say 90, 95% of whatever it is at that time. Um, but, uh, you know, there is a point where it's like, you do have to find that balance between being like, Hey, you know, there are still a few more percentage points, but you've got to, I, I think, um, getting people in the in the mindset of this is a building spot, um, focusing on if they got better from their last show. I also saw 95% rule combined with not letting them get on stage worse than they've been in the past. Um, and honestly, that's kind of where my job description started off with is that like when I first started coaching people, because I wasn't formally educated, I didn't know if I should be doing it. I knew I knew what I was talking about, but I just didn't know if I should. And I kind of just took the approach of. uh, I know I can get them better than what they've gotten for themselves. And if I was sure of that, then I would take the job. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so um, I I would say with that and then, um, you know, with the confidence of just being okay with it. um, I would say just focus on. Once again, whether or not you help them improve, because that's what it's all about. This isn't a uh, game of perfection. It's a game of um, ever improving physiques and process and mindset. And it's like
0: um, if they improved, then I would say you did your job. Yeah, for sure. Cam, Paul, anything you wanted to circle back to as we sucker out?
1: I think I've done enough circling
0: back. <laughs> enough circling. He's dizzy. Cliff, anything you wanted to touch on again? No, I just I really appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, we really appreciate it, too. And I know that these guys are still full of some questions, so maybe we'll do it again in the future. Um, I'd love to talk about some different topics with you, but let us know what's in store for you uh, the rest of this year, the rest of this COVID-filled year, and any new projects in the work. We heard about the new book. Uh, Cliff's got a great old book, The Complete Contest Prep textbook. Yes, I I wrote it with uh, a client of mine, uh, Dr. Peter Fitchin.
2: He's, uh, you know, we... He and I, he's been kicking my ass this year on the coaching front occasionally. It seems like he's been getting uh getting a pro card at like every show he's been sending clients to. Becomes master. I know. Uh so we um yeah, we 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 wrote a book together and we kind of just our goal was um we realized that not everybody can afford a good coach, um, or any coach. Or like, you know, most people can afford a thirty dollar book. And so we we wanted it to be something that if you had never prepped before, you could pick it up and read it front to cover and prep yourself with it. So we do that. And then the new book. Um, I am finishing up the last chapter before I submit it to editing. Finally. Um, and it's, uh, hopefully people will bear with me. It is. I don't mention bodybuilding in it once. <laughs> um, I don't it's, it is purely it is applicable to bodybuilding. Um, but it's if I mentioned, if I equated everything in it with bodybuilding, the book would be way too long. And so, um, I, I'm very clear and like essentially like how to build yourself up. Um, and it can be used for bodybuilding or whatever purposes you want to use it for. So, um, it ended up being on quite a bit longer than I anticipated. So, uh, you know, finally, after a couple of years of writing, it's, it's finally just about done. When can the people get their hands on it? Um, I'm trying to get it out by February. Okay. Um it'll probably be February because like I said, I'm almost done, but uh I know how long the editing process takes. So um, you know, I, I think February, March, maybe even. Um right. hopefully uh, I was hoping to get it out while people are stuck inside with COVID, but that didn't seem <laughs> to work out. But it might
0: be coming back.
3: It I'm might sorry, be coming yeah, back.
0: I still be in there. So <laughs> Yeah. So where can people find more about you? Facebook, Instagram, your website, all that. Um, probably
2: Instagram and my website. So Instagram is, uh, at CW team Wilson and, uh,
0: my website is teamwilsonbb.com. Awesome. All right, guys, thanks for coming out. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next one. And as always, you know what to do. Stay gifted.
2: See ya.